Good morning. How's everyone doing? Awesome. Praise God. Uh, everyone looks lovely. So good job getting ready this morning. Okay, too soon. All right. Um, welcome out. Uh, like Tessa said, my name is Alberto Lopez, and I serve here alongside our amazing college ministry. And it is an absolute honor uh, to be here and share the word of God with you. Our, our pastor, lead pastor, Peter Dusan, uh, is out of town for two weeks taking a, a sabbatical a very well-deserved break from ministry. And so if you think about Pastor Peter, uh, maybe when you leave and you drive home or before you eat lunch, offer up a prayer for him and his family that they would have a refreshing, joyful time, that they would come back renewed with, with passion and vision as they continue to labor here. So Pastor Peter, if you're listening, we love you. We love you, Elisa and the Juice Animals. Y'all are awesome. Um, so let's get into it. So these past few weeks, we've been in the book of Revelation. If you've been following along with us, what we like to do as a church is we like to get into a book of the Bible, plant ourselves there, and then kind of unpack it chapter by chapter. We've done this with Ephesians. We've done this with Genesis. And what we're doing here is opening up Revelation. We're not necessarily covering every single chapter, but what we are doing is highlighting specific chapters that kind of communicate the central theme of this book. Uh, The reason why I preface that is because today we find ourselves in chapter 19. Uh, If you were with us last week, Pastor Peter preached out of Revelation 4, so that's a a big chunk of of Revelation that we're not covering, but I encourage you to to read it on your own uh, and get in the text for yourself. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, and will you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? Verse 1, it says this, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belongs to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Verse 3, Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever And ever, and the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. Verse six. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God alone. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You may be seated. With the remaining time I have with you, I kind of want to dive into two observations that I see in this text and then kind of send you off with one takeaway. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is alive, that it is active, 
that it still communicates to us today, Lord. God, I pray that as we dive into this, Father, that you would transform us from the inside out, Lord, and that we would be challenged to love you and worship you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So where we find ourselves in chapter 19 is a very confusing place. Um, There's like a lamb, there's a prostitute, there's a lot going on here. And if you're like me, it did not make sense when you first read this. Uh, Growing up, not growing up, for, for the majority part of my Christian experience, when I became a Christian at 18, somebody told me, that they don't read the book of Revelation because it's scary. And uh, I had no context for that. I never read the Bible. So I grew up believing this. I was like, man, I'm not going to touch this book because it's scary. And, well, unbeknownst to me, this was also the guy that was, like, fascinated with, like, Left Behind and, like, all these, like, apocalyptic movies. Uh, but as I begin to dive into this book, I notice it's not so much a book about impending doom and destruction. But what it is, it's a book about worship. And what we see in this book is God putting on display his glorious judgment as he's judging sin and ushering in a new kingdom, and it causes his people to worship. So what I want to do is look at my first observation in this text, and that is this, the great prostitute. Revelation 19 can also be known as the tale of two women. We see uh, the great prostitute, and we see the bride of the lamb, and they both represent something totally different, and they both represent radically different things and have radically different destinies. So who is the great prostitute? If we take a step backwards, here's a cool Bible reading trick that I learned. Uh, Verse 19, verse 1, it says, after this. Anytime we see the word after this, you can ask yourself, after what? Uh, And it causes us to kind of take a step back and see what's going on. We know two chapters earlier that John is getting this vision. And in chapter 17, we see that there is introduced into this picture the great prostitute. And the prostitute has a name, and her name is Babylon. All throughout the Bible, Babylon has been used to represent sin complete opposition to God, literally the personification of evil. That's what Babylon is. It's it's the height of human wickedness, what humanity looks like totally apart from God. So we have Babylon, which is complete opposition to God, and then we have Jerusalem, which is supposed to represent what a community of believers look like that fully glorify God and enjoy him forever. And what does Babylon do? Well, we know in verse 19, it says this, verse 2, Babylon has corrupted the earth with her immorality. In other words, sin has corrupted the earth. Um, There was a a quote that I ran into by a reggae artist named Bob Marley. Uh, He's probably not the best theologian, but I love what he says about Babylon because he he got it kind of spot on. He said, Babylon is everywhere. And Babylon represents everything that's wrong with the world. He said, if I was born in America or if I was born in England, it makes no difference because Babylon is everywhere. And what he is saying is that he recognized that that when he looks out into the world, there's this evil, there's this brokenness, there's this depravity that's, that's all over the world. And he called it what it rightfully is, sin. 
We know in Genesis chapter 3, or we take a step backwards, Genesis, God creates humanity, designs us to be in a relationship with him. Two chapters later, we mess everything up. And now sin enters into the world and destroys everything. It destroys creation. It destroys our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And it has affected everything. And what we see here is that Babylon has corrupted the whole earth with her immorality. Babylon represents sin and opposition to God. And what has the great prostitute done? Corrupted the earth. So the prostitute not only represents um, sexual immorality, but the prostitute also represents spiritual adultery. God's people are having a love affair with the idols of the world, and God hates it. And this is what the prostitute has done. Pastor Morgan Stevens from Mosaic, who was a few, here a few, weeks, a few weeks ago with us, points out that Revelation 19 is written in the language of intimacy. All throughout the Bible, we see God who desires to be in relationship with us. He wants us to to, to love him and adore him. He is jealous for us. And right here, we have two competing lovers. One is sin, who is competing for our heart. And two is God, who is longing to be in a relationship with us. And so often, we settle for a love affair with the created things rather than the creator. And God hates this. And so what does God do to the prostitute? Uh, I love what C.J. Mahaney says, a, a pastor out of Kentucky. He says, Today the greatest challenge facing American Christians is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. And this is what Babylon does. Babylon comes into the world, seduces us, draws us away from the heart of God, and convinces us that the sin that we're living in is awesome, convinces us that, that, that we don't need God, convinces us that, that, that we can live a, a wealthy, amazing, comfortable life, and that in the end, everything's going to be okay, but that's not how the story ends. Uh, to further quote this, C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Way to Glory, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are too easily pleased. And what we know from Scripture is that Babylon offers mud pies in the slum. Babylon offers sin that does not satisfy. And what God is trying to show us is that only he can satisfy the longings of our heart. Only a meaningful relationship with him can make us whole and complete. So why do I say all this? Because what we see uh, happen to Babylon is nothing short of extraordinary. We know this. After this, I heard what seemed to be a great loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. Why are they worshiping? In this one moment, John gets a picture of this revival that's breaking out in heaven, and God's people are crying out, hallelujah, praise God, the prostitute, sin and evil has finally been defeated. And this is what we've been waiting for all along. Uh, I was watching this 
documentary a few days ago, and it follows these three journalists that are going through Liberia because they heard these stories of cannibal warlords, and they were interviewing them, and these guys were, were sharing stories about how they have committed thousands of child sacrifices, have led hundreds of thousands of children soldiers into war, and, and they're literally taught, they literally, one of the guys literally said this, this was a nation that was founded on Christian principles, now it has been decimated by sin. And as I'm watching this, something inside of me, this anger begins to rise up in me, where if God were to come and destroy all the sin and all the evil and all the wickedness in this place, my heart would rejoice. Because now his creation won't be submitted to to the suffering and the evil and the wickedness that is going on here. Sin and evil would be removed. And, And so this is what's happening. Sin and evil has been destroyed and God's people are rejoicing because God has, as it says right here, his judgments are true and just. They're worshiping God for who he is and what he has done. And finally, we are seeing here being ushered in the new era where sin and evil is destroyed and God begins to come back and rule and reign forever. And everyone's going crazy. They're saying, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. Before, we, before the, the, the marriage of the bride and the lamb can be ushered in, God has to put away all other competing lovers. And this is what he does by destroying Babylon. He destroys all the sin that's competing for our hearts, puts it away once and for all. And as soon as this great prostitute is put away, this is where we find ourselves in our second observation, the bride of the lamb can be ushered in. So observation number two, the bride of the lamb. So we know from Scripture that the Lamb is Jesus. Revelation says that that Jesus is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. Uh, Because of Jesus, uh, we have uh, forgiveness of our sins. We have been made right with God. But who is the bride? We are the bride, the the believer that is in Christ who who places their faith and hope in Jesus is the bride. And so this is where we pick up in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. This is what we've been waiting for since the beginning. We have been waiting for the Lamb to come back, marry his church, and we enjoy God and live with him in eternity forever. The marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
So sin has been destroyed, removed, and ushered away, and now the bride can be ushered in. And Revelation 19.9 says that those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb will witness this. Well, this brings up my question. Well, then who is invited to this marriage supper? Um, I have never, ever shown up to a wedding by myself where I do not know the bride and the groom. Um, And if I have, that's called crashing a wedding. Um, But I have been to a wedding where I may not know the bride and groom, but maybe my family does, and I kind of show up with them. Um, Last year, I was at a wedding with my fiancé, now wife. Shout out. She's in kids' church. Um, And and so she's biracial, um, half black, half white. And so she took me to this wedding, and I did not know a single person there. Um, and if I went by myself, it would have been very obvious that I had no relationship to the bride and groom. Um, I stuck out like a sore thumb. But because I came with her, everyone welcomed me in. Like, oh, you're with Morgan. Hey, nice to meet you. Uh, we're a cousin or, or this and that. The reason why I say this is because we are invited to this marriage supper because we walk in with Jesus. Now, you may not know why you're there. You may not know how you got there, but Jesus brings you in. And when you're brought in by Jesus, everything is okay. Everything is cool. I'm, I'm, with, I'm with him. I don't question why I'm at this wedding with my wife where I don't know anyone there. I'm with her. And so we're going to eat and we're going to party it up. And we're going to have a great time. And I love this picture because in verse 8, it says, It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Now, what do we know about us as God's creation? Is that in our most sinful, perilous state, we are not bright and pure. We are not perfect But because of the blood of Jesus, it makes us white as snow. And because of who he is and what he has done and what he has accomplished for me, I am now regarded by the Father as bright and pure. We are clothed in his righteousness and not my own. And so now there's this picture of the bride, the church of God, and she's walking down the aisle. And she has been given permission to wear this wedding dress that represents purity, that that represents glory. And we know that there's nothing glorious about us as sinful people. And yet he clothes us in this, sees beyond our sin, and now we are regarded as the bride of Christ if you are a believer. I love this because as one theologian says, you know, the only thing that I contribute to my salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's all I brought to the table was my sin. And what did he bring in exchange for that? His blood, his life that got me here. So this brings up a a, a very important question. I will point this out. Revelation chapter 18, we see the fall of Babylon, the fall of sin. Sin is, like I said earlier, destroyed and ushered away. And in Revelation chapter 19, we see 
this amazing worship experience where everyone's going crazy because the marriage of the bride and the lamb has come. Like I said earlier, this is known as the tale of two women, but it's also two songs. Revelation 18 is written as a dirge, a funeral song. The reason why is because when you read Revelation 18, people who were seduced by the prostitute and did not repent and give glory to God are mourning the death of evil. And they're crying out that she has been destroyed. And it says here, the the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. For in a single hour, all the wealth has been laid to, to waste. For in a single hour, judgment has come. And we see a picture of, of, of Babylon, uh, of people that are living apart from God, mourning the death of a prostitute because they've lost everything. And in chapter 19, we see a different song. We see a song of humanity rejoicing going crazy because God has finally judged evil. God has finally destroyed wickedness. And his people are crying out, hallelujah, praise God. He reigns forever. And as I was reading this, I was was gripped by this text because I had to ask myself a very challenging question. Which song am I singing? Am Am I mourning and weeping over the, the destruction of, of, of sin? Am I, am I entertaining and being seduced by the evil ways of the world and putting a stamp of approval on it? Or am I glorifying God for his righteous judgment that he's going to destroy evil and I'm going to be with him forever? And that is my one takeaway in the form of a question. Who are you worshiping? Revelation 18, funeral song, death of a prostitute. And what's interesting to notice is that when the prostitute dies, everyone who followed Babylon loses everything. But isn't it interesting to notice that when the son of God dies, we gain everything. And what we can see from this is that sin cannot satisfy, sin cannot save you, Sin can only leave you in a hopeless, perilous state. And what we need is a Savior that will save us from our sin and give us something so much better than the wicked things that the prostitute, that that Babylon, that sin is offering us. And that is a relationship with God. So may our response be to join with heaven, to cry out hallelujah, to worship God. I love this, is that we are getting a picture of a future event so that it might influence the way we worship right now. It is finished. It is done. This is going to happen regardless of how you and I feel. The moment that I propose to uh, my wife, No matter how unprepared I was to get married, the date was already set. The deposit was already on the venue. I wasn't going to pull Andrew Bernard on The Office and do it. I'm watching The Office for the first time, so I had to use that reference. Uh, I'm going to get married. And no matter how I feel about it, the date is coming. And three months before we got married, I feel like we had nothing done. Um, We 
barely finalized our menu. But regardless, this day was coming. It was a future event that was already written out. And likewise, this marriage between the lamb and the bride is coming. I'm not sure when, I'm not sure where, but we do know that before that marriage supper comes, sin will be destroyed, evil will be ushered away. So how does that influence the way we worship today? Will we continue to entertain the elementary pleasures of the world, or will we put sin to death and enjoy God forever? I'm preaching to myself because I find myself on this side of, oh man, yeah, Jesus is, is coming back some other day. So today I'm, I'm, I'm good. But that's not how we're called to live our lives as believers. We are called to worship God, enjoy him for who he is and what he has already done and what he is going to do. That should change the way we live and worship God. I love what John Piper says. He says, don't worship the wealth of Babylon. Don't worship the power of Babylon. Don't worship the pleasure of Babylon. And don't even worship the holy messenger that brings you the news that Babylon has fallen forever. Worship God. When I was uh, 18 years old, I came to Texas State. Some, many of y'all know this because I heard it was a, a party school. And I thought to myself, what better ways to indulge in, in the things that the world has to offer than, than go to college, you know? Um, education. Um, and, and what I quickly found out is that as I began to pursue these things, my heart was not satisfied. Uh, I, I had these holes in my heart that I believe every human has, and it's called like this, this God hole that, that's meant to be filled with an intimate relationship with God. But the more and more we try to fill it with the things that Babylon has to offer, like wealth, power, um, pleasure, the more and more we'll find ourselves utterly disappointed because those things were never designed to satisfy you. And it wasn't until I came to a Bible study that I saw many of the, the men who are here now that I realized they had something that I did not, and that was a meaningful, wholehearted relationship with God. And that made all the difference. Where sin could not satisfy and heal the holes of my heart, the blood of Jesus could come in, restore me, and make me new, and bring purpose and meaning to my life. And this is what Christ comes to offer. And this is what we get to enjoy forever. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God alone, for his judgments are true and just. Hallelujah. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. As we uh, close in prayer and transition into communion, um, will you bow your head and close your eyes with me?